Um, hi guys, my name is Abby, and um, okay. My trip to Romania was special in many ways, but mainly because it's the first mission trip I had ever been on. God called me to this trip, and I had no idea why until I got there. I learned that sometimes God takes you thousands of miles away just to help you realize his truth. This trip came at a perfect time and was something I needed for myself in order to improve my relationship with Christ. Before this trip, I had a rocky re- relationship with him and the church. I considered myself a Christian, but never did anything in practice like going to church or reading the Bible. But I am completely humbled yet astounded by the way God decided to use me during this trip. We got the opportunity to play with Romanian orphans and gypsy children, and I made connections with them that I will never forget. We learned that these kids get very little attention, minimal eye contact, no hugs, and no conversations. We got to spread God's love by teaching them about him and giving them the love that they would never usually get. I quickly learned that smiles, hugs, and high fives are the same in every language, and that the language barrier that I was afraid of was actually not an issue. God helped me get rid of my fears so I could teach these things about, God, about what God is and who he truly loves and how he loves. In Proverbs 69, it says, In his heart, man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. This was true for me in this trip. God broke my heart during this trip, but he did it so I would open my eyes to the reality of the situation there. He did it so I would know to come back and so I could truly appreciate who he is and what he does. And for that, I am so thankful to God and my church for allowing me to go on this trip. A piece of my heart is in Romania, and I can't wait to go back. Hi, my name is Shani. Um, I feel kind of unprepared because I didn't write anything. Um, but I'm going to try to make this... Uh, like short, but I'm going to get to the point. So I was one of those people that kind of just watched the videos and thought, oh, that's for missionaries. Like I didn't really think that that's something for me. Um, I would watch it um, and just kind of go about my days. I just thought not everyone does that. That's not something that everyone does. Um, The only reason why I even considered it was because of Jessica and Arthur. They've been there before. Um, And they gave me like a sense of ease to go. And I felt comfortable knowing that I knew them. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this is something that God wants me to do. I've never fundraised for anything. I was never, I was never part of like a club in school to fundraise anything. So here I am. I'm like, how do I even begin to fundraise and ask for money? Because I don't even like to ask for money in general or favors. So that was kind of tough for me. Um, I know this is like before, but I think this is important. So Fast forward, um, I'm funded, and um, I'm on this trip, and I'm thinking to myself, I've never been on a plane where I'm not going to, like, relax, to hang out. I'm solely on this plane to serve others, and it hit me because I'm, like, thinking to myself, I don't really know what to expect, but I felt like a sense of responsibility. Um, so, of course, I get there, and it's the best week of my life. Um, I've never had a week just filled with prayer, filled with God. Um, I felt so full. And to even, to even think that I never felt that in my life before, And that the Lord had to take me miles and miles away for me to even sense his presence the way that I did on this trip. 
I'm sorry that I'm crying. Okay. Um, so I've never woken up and it been just God 24-7. So that's what made that week amazing. Um, and it made me realize how distracted I was back home. You know, I wasn't worried about work. I wasn't worried about um, the little things. I mean, I had the least amount of Wi-Fi on the whole trip. Everyone had better Wi-Fi than I did. And, I've, and there, was, <laughs> there, was times, there were times where I had the opportunity to get Wi-Fi, and I kind of stepped back, and I said, you know what, Lord? You know that I'm on my phone way too much back home, so there is a reason why I don't have Wi-Fi right now. <sighs> Needless to say, I couldn't update my posts as much as I wanted to, but I, I, you know, God said that's not important, so I said, okay, let me just, let me just deal with this, uh, getting Wi-Fi 10 minutes a day. So I realized that I was very distracted back home, and these kids, although there was a, a language barrier, and I don't know if most of you guys are concerned about stuff like that, I was, because I've always traveled to places, I speak Spanish, so I've always traveled to different countries that speak Spanish. It was like the first time that I felt like, I don't know how to communicate with you. How do I say what I want to say to you? But the greatest thing about love is that it is a universal language. So hugging them, smiling at them, they understood that. And if you were to talk to anyone on this trip, they gave the best hugs, the tightest hugs. And I guess it was their way of communicating with us and saying that we love you back. Um, so I will never forget that although we couldn't go back to, like and spend the whole week with each child, I know that they got what we were trying to tell them at that moment, which is that God loves you, we love you. And for the first time, I felt like this is what a Christian is about. Um, not going to service on Sundays and just praying throughout the day, this is what he wants us to do. We were designed to do this. That's what he did. Oh, he, he was homeless. All he did was go around and preach the gospel. So I actually felt like this is what it is to be a Christ follower. And it hit me really hard because I'm like, I wish it would have clicked, but I'm so glad that I went on this trip because it completely transformed my heart. I came back heartbroken, but full at the same time, because now I think about those kids. Um, my prayer life has changed. Um, I'm praying for others more. I'm praying for those, th those villages. I'm praying for Mexico. I'm praying for Colombia. My, my heart is officially breaking the same way that it would break God's, or at least as close as I believe it will, because I've been, I've been in a way kind of homesick, but I'm home because I did not want to leave Romania whatsoever. I was like, I'm not ready. I could stay like another week or two. I didn't miss... I didn't miss my fiance. I didn't miss my mom. I was like, I don't miss none of you guys. I just want to stay here and love on these kids. You guys will be there when I get back. And if not, I mean, I'm, I, I felt like I was doing what God wanted me to do. So, um, and one of the most important things that made me realize was when I came back, my mom was so happy to see me. And she was like, doesn't it make you feel so appreciative and grateful for what you have? Doesn't looking at everything make you feel so grateful? And my response was, no, not really. Um, I came back to all the things that I have and realized not how grateful I am, but what can I give up? What don't I need? So in other trips, I come back like, I'm so grateful I have this, but I come back and I'm looking at my room, I'm looking at my car, I'm looking at all this, and I'm like, I don't need all of this. I can give some of this stuff up. 
I can live without it. So to me, the takeaway, I guess, from, from this is that I'm definitely going to go back. Um, I am still so nervous that I'm talking to you because I really didn't want to talk to you guys at all. No offense, but I didn't want to talk to you guys. But if you're second guessing it, whether it's language barrier, whether it's financially, spiritually, I want to say that it's worth going to at least one. And if you go to one, give it your all, spiritually give it your all. And I know you will feel the fulfillment. And what I think Arthur was saying throughout the trip is the more you pour out, the more he fills you up. And I did not get that until I came back from this trip. The more I, fu- I, the more I poured out to these kids, the more I felt that the Lord was filling me up. And that is so true. And I didn't get it until I actually felt that, that coming within. So thank you so much. I'm sorry if I went too long. Her fiance is not in the room, so we're good. We're in the clear. <laughs> There's Marilyn. Hi, good morning, church family. My name is Marilyn. I've been coming to Avalon Church for about two and a half years. Um, I'm really nervous right now, so you'll hear the cracking of my voice soon. Um, I traveled 5,000 miles away um, in this Romanian trip, first time to a mission trip, not the first time to Europe, with some very courageous young people. Um, And I traveled there not knowing exactly what was going to happen. It is a very spiritual journey, I will tell you that. I traveled 5,000 miles away to confess something that, truth be told, I should have done it here amongst everyone that I know. Um, So I'm going to give you my testimony that I gave to um, a group of gypsy women. Um, So here it is. My Christian journey began about three years ago. I was raised in the Catholic religion. However, I was a holiday card Catholic, Easter, Christmas, etc., I had gone to a Catholic university and I had sought God during my weakest moments in life, abuse as a child, and attempted suicide and severe depression. No one suspected this of me because I usually put on a smile and disguised the anguish I was feeling. You see, I was a sole caregiver of an aging mom. Sorry. As I got older, she became needier and it felt like it became a death sentence to me. I would think to myself, this is going to be my life. I was getting older. I had a failed marriage and no social life to speak of. And I blamed it on my mom not creating her own life. In December of 2014, I began to attend church and ask God for strength and patience in dealing with my mother. But as the days and the weeks grew further, I was losing hope. God, I thought you're not helping me. My mom became even more dependent and dementia was beginning to settle in. I was losing hope and some faith. On April 13, 2015, after a few weeks of ailing health, my mom collapsed in my home. I stand before you to admit to you that for that very second, when I saw her lying there, I felt a relief. But then I said, wait, God, that's not what I want. I didn't mean that. No, I take everything back as I immediately sprang into action calling 911 and administering CPR. But it was too late. She passed two days later, and I was left with the incredible guilt that I secretly wanted this. For two years, I held on to this until 
my church had a sermon on how to experience true freedom. The freedom that God provides for us because we died for our sins. Because he died for our sins. He liberated us from the guilt that we create for ourselves. When we have bad thoughts or say mean things, I stood up and began to walk towards the front of the church. While those few steps were the longest, most difficult steps I have taken in my life, they were also the most liberating. I reached the altar and collapsed in tears and begged for forgiveness. I begged for the freedom from guilt. I begged the Lord our God to show how to follow him in faith and unconditionally. Since that day, I've committed to having a relationship with God and making him first in my life. And while I still struggle keeping Christ always first in my life, I know that if and when I fall, he will be there to pick me up, to refocus my attention on him. Thank you. We just want to say thank you, everybody, uh, all those who gave and supported us and prayed for us. We just want to say we love you and thank you. Thank you, Pastor. You. Thank you, Arthur, for your leadership, Jennifer, John Malloy, so many that made that trip possible. I believe that um, what Shauna said is absolutely true for every single one of us, and I pray that you're challenged by it today. We all have a purpose. We all have a mission that God has given us. Uh, it's not about going to church, and, and, and it's not about being religious. It, it's, it's, it's about involving yourselves in other people's lives. It's about serving. It's about caring. It's about sharing the love of Jesus with other people. Shauna said that's what Jesus did. He didn't even have a home. He just went around telling people about the kingdom of God, and it's true. And we all have a, a, a purpose that God has given us that he wants us to feel. There's a direction in our life that he gives us. And I see it in a passage of Scripture that we want to look at this morning in Luke chapter 22. We start turning our, our attention and our focus on the cross of Jesus Christ and the, the events that led up to the greatest sacrifice that was ever made. I don't have time to give you the entire context of this passage of Scripture, but it follows the, the Lord's Supper and the incredible interaction that took place at the Lord's Supper. I think of some of the things that took place there and the lessons that Jesus taught. I think about the disciples arguing among, among one another about who is the greatest, and, and, and Jesus' response to that was very, very clear and so relevant to us today and so applicable to us today and he clearly says to them the one who is the greatest is the one who serves if you want to be great in the kingdom of God you you have to serve I, I, I remember him saying to Judas who kind of slips in like everything's cool and everything's all right and he's in love with everybody and there's this neat connection and Jesus ends up saying to him Judas why don't you just go do what you have to do just go do what you have to do. I think about the conversation that he had with Peter during that time, and he looks Peter eyeball to eyeball, and he says to Peter, Peter, this, the, the devil, Satan, has asked that he might sift you, but, but Peter, I have prayed for you. I've prayed that your faith will remain. And they leave that, that upper room, and they travel 
up into the Mount of Olives, into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's Thursday evening. If we, if we looked at what I think I'll do, Jonathan, is begin in the 39th verse. In the 36th through 38th verse, Jesus says, look, times have absolutely changed what has been foretold in the past, especially in the book of Isaiah, especially the 53rd chapter. I'm going to be treated as a criminal. This time has now come. It's about to be fulfilled. It's not like it was in the past when we were cordially uh, uh, greeted and we were invited and we had opportunities to share. Now times have changed. It's going to get real tough. I really believe that this moment was the very beginning of Jesus suffering for us. And then in the 39th through the 44th verse, Jesus, this is the, 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 um, the occurrence. Verse 39, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to him, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, Abba, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I think about this time. I think about Jesus. I think when when I take the time to just sit and ponder this scene, maybe one of the most beautiful and moving and and inspiring scenes in the, in, in, in the whole context, in the, in, in the whole journey of Jesus' suffering. When he gets alone with his father, when he talks with his father, when he interacts with his father, and when he's doing that, he knows exactly what's going to take place in the next 24 hours. Matthew says he falls on his face and begins to beg God, Father, Abba, Daddy, intimacy, this real intimate kind of relationship. Is there any way you can take this cup from me? Is there any other plan? Is there a a plan B that we could go to? The response from the Father is the Father sends an angel to give him strength in order that he might endure. I think about... I think about the cross. I think about the passion of Jesus. I think about the fact that this is not how he wanted to spend the next 24 hours. I think about Jesus being 100% human and 100% God and the humanness part of him thinking about the pain and the the God part of him thinking about the the sin of the world being placed upon him. And I think about his agony and the Bible tells us that it was an agony that was such that his sweat was like drops of blood. I don't know that if you've ever experienced, we all have been in times of agony, but have we ever experienced an agony like this, this intense situation like this, we've all cried out to God. We've all begged to God. We've all said to God, remove this cup 
from me. But I look and I watch Jesus and I, and I listen to the way that he prayed. And I think about my most passionate prayers. And I don't think that I pray the way Jesus prayed to his father on that night. And then I think about the fact that I'm really the cause of his anguish. I think about his pain and I think about the intensity and I think about the agony and I also begin to think about a whole different perspective. This incredible relationship that the father has with the son. That Jesus cries out, Daddy, Daddy, please, if there's any way, if there's any way you can take this cup from me. And I begin to think about that perspective, that father perspective. And I ask myself the question, how can any daddy hear his son say to him, please, please, please take this cup from me. If there's any way, take this cup from me and, and be unable to remove that cup and any of us who are parents can relate to this. I mean, I, it breaks my heart when my son says to me, Daddy, can I please stay home from school today? But here, we're talking about a pain that none of us have ever endured. We're talking about an emotional journey that none of us have ever endured. We're talking about a love between a father and a son that none of us have ever known before. A love so deep and so moving. And a, and a son who says, Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. And the daddy's response is this. You got to do it. You got to do it because I love them so much. I love them so much and so he sends an angel to strengthen his son folks when we get that picture when it becomes more than head knowledge to us when we can put ourselves in that place and we can experience that kind of agony we can experience that kind of interaction between a father and son it makes it impossible for us to be casual about our relationship with God because we begin to understand the depth of his love for us and what Jesus went through on our behalves we cannot be casual about the way we interact with him and the way we pray. We cannot be casual about the way that we serve him. We cannot be casual about the way that, that, that we mention his name and bring him glory and tell others about his love. It's impossible for us to be casual even a week from Friday night when we gather together to celebrate Good Friday and, we, and we'll partake in, in the Lord's Supper, the communion experience, the bread and the cup. We can't be casual about that popping the bread into our mouth as if it's just another religious ritual it, it, it is supposed to bring us back to this garden experience it's supposed to bring us back to the cross where our minds are refreshed about the depth of the father's love for us it's a challenge 
to us. And I want you to know it's a challenge to us in the mission and the purpose that God has given us as well. Jesus was given a mission. This was his purpose. In a very real way, he was born to die, and he knew it. And he had a a, a mission just as God has given us a mission. I love how Jesus prays here. I think it's a perfect picture of love because it's a picture of prayer where where we go to God and we, we beg for our desires. And listen, God wants us to do that. God teaches us to do that in his word. Come boldly to the throne of grace, he says. Come, crawl up in my lap and tell me your needs. I want you to come to me. I want there to be a fervency. I want there to be an intensity. I want you to beg. Look, that's what Jesus is doing. Daddy, please, is there any way? Is there any way you can take this cup from me? That's begging if you ask me. I want you to come. But this perfect picture of prayer, that's only half of the prayer. The question becomes, are we willing to go to him and let him know our desires? Let him, let him know our, uh, what, 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 what we need and what we want and, and, and come boldly to his throne and yet at the same time be submissive to his desires for us, especially when his desires for us are different than the desires that we have for ourselves. Beg for our desires, but submit to his desires. Listen, that's a perfect picture of prayer. Father, here's what I need. This is, my, this is the condition of my heart. This is my brokenness. Please, please take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Do you know anybody who prays like that? He wants both. He wants us to ask, and he wants us to submit. Is that how you pray? I think, too, in this passage, how God answered the prayer. He sent an angel to strengthen. He says, no, you got, you got to. I, I love them too much, but I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll send an angel to strengthen you. Sometimes he says yes. Other times it's no, but I'll give you the strength. We could spend so much time here. We just simply don't have it this morning. I absolutely love those times when I say to God, God, this is my desire. Can you bring this about in my life? This is what I want. And you know what? He does it. He does it, and I praise him, and I thank him. But there are other times in my life when he says, no, I can't give you that, but I will give you strength, and I will help you to persevere, and I will help you to keep your eyes focused on me. 
I will get you through this. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. James writes in his epistle, this is exactly how we experience spiritual maturity. When God says no, but he gives us strength to endure. So it's a, it's a daddy, it's a God who loves us, who knows what's best for us, who knows when it's best to say no, and who will walk that journey with us. But our part in that is this, this attitude of prayer where we make known our need, where we make known what we want, where we tell God, we beg God, and God says, no, I have something better for you, and there will be some pain involved in it, but this is what I want to do. This is how I want to change you. This is how I want to conform you. This is how I want to use you. This idea of being in the center of God's will and everything is great is crazy. It's unbiblical. It's not true. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, they're going to murder some of y'all in my name. They're going to treat you worse than they treated me. Get used to it. Get ready for it. That's being in the center of God's will. But God says, I'll never leave you. I'll, I'll comfort you. I'll be there with you. It goes on in verse 45. When he rose from prayer, Jesus, this incredible, intense, agonizing prayer, prayed so hard as if, his sweat were drops of blood. He came back to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, I want to tell you that these disciples had been through a pretty rough time. I won't go into all of it. Their very, very best friend, their leader, the one they placed their trust in, had just told them, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. And they've been through this passion week. And, and listen, if anybody had an excuse to be exhausted, and the Bible says that, that, that they were exhausted from sorrow, they were emotionally spent. If anyone had an excuse to be exhausted, these guys did. And yet Jesus' response to them is, I understand that you're exhausted, but that's no excuse. This is too important. You got to pray. Wake up. Begin to pray. Pray that, so, so that you'll be able to flee from temptation. You take this back. You take this back to the fact that God has given us a mission. God has given us a purpose. I, I, see, I see some of us going, you know what? I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. And, and, and the response to that is prayer. The response to that is to say, God, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Take this, this calling on my life, this mission that you've given me, take it from me. And his response might be to send you an angel to strengthen you. And there, there are others who say, I buy into the mission. I buy into the, the vision. I buy into the journey. And, 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 and I, I want to be all in on that. And you know what hinders you from participating in the journey, from, from continuing on the journey? Sin does. 
send us. That's why Jesus goes back to the disciples and he says, guys, wake up. I know you're tired. I know you're sorrowful. You have a a reason to be asleep, but wake up. This is too important. You got to pray because prayer is going to keep you from temptation. It's going to keep you from sin. People ask me, it's a common question. How do you stay consistent in the Christian life? I get fired up sometimes, a mountaintop experience, and I find myself following God and serving God. But man, sometimes it's two weeks, sometimes it's three weeks, sometimes it's two months, sometimes it's three months, maybe a year, but I always find myself falling away, falling away, falling away. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus goes and he wakes up to the disciples and he says, wake up. I told told you to pray. You got to pray. If you don't pray, you're going to, you're going to fall into temptation. You're going to fall into sin. Prayer is this is a key. It's, it's, it's an essential part. Look, it's not a, it's not a secret. It's not complicated. It's this kind of fervent interaction with God. It's this honest, transparent interaction with God. Jesus goes to the disciples and he says, you got to pray. It's too important. We all struggle. How seriously do you take prayer? How often do you, do, do you, even in the kind of agony that we see in Jesus, we pray that God would keep us holy? How often do we do that? That God would keep me pure? That God would keep me focused. That God would give me strength to accomplish what he has called me to accomplish. If we don't have a healthy prayer life, we will fail. In this same occurrence, Matthew writes, Your flesh is willing but the spirit is weak. I think that is really applicable to a lot of us here today. I think we're willing. I think we're willing. I think that's why you're here. I think that, that, that for the most part, most of you are in this room because you know God is real. And you know, you know your greatest satisfaction is found in him. You know that. You want to you walk with him. You want to experience him. You want to be empowered by him. You want to be used by him. You know that. Your flesh is will, willing. And, and too often on this, on this journey, we, what, what we do in order to experience what God has for us is we apply our willpower. I'm going to try harder. I know I can do this. I'll be more disciplined. And the fact of the matter is, you don't have any power. You don't have any power. You need his power in you. That's why Jesus was saying to the disciples, hey, this is important. You got to get up. You got to pray. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. We depend on willpower, but we have to pray for God's power. And we have to pray the way Jesus prayed so intensely, nothing casual about it. Man, I think it's one of our greatest battles in the culture that we live in right now because we can get away with casual Christianity. 
And we experience, we experience that in our prayer life. Having, a, having an effective prayer life is not easy. You know, I sit down to pray, and, and it's almost like I'm just thinking out loud. You know, and three or four minutes later, I'm, I'm thinking about something else. Do you do that? Is that your experience sometimes? Yeah, there's, the, there's not this intensity in our prayer life. There's not this focus in our prayer life. You know what? That's, that's casual. That's a casual prayer life. We do it sometime in worship. These incredible, incredible worship songs. And, and, and man, you can just get so focused on Jesus as we worship him and you can experience him. You can be empowered by him. But there's also times that we're just kind of mouthing the words, you know, it's just kind of this casual thing. And when that happens, here's what happens. Jesus is shaking you going, wake up, wake up. This is too important. Wake up so that you don't fall into temptation. There's a journey. There's a mission. There's a purpose. There's much to be accomplished. You'll fall into temptation if you keep this kind of casual attitude. That's what Jesus was saying to the disciples that night. We're going to be tempted. Satan is after us. You, you got to pray. You got to beg God. For your own purity. Now listen, you put this in the, in the context of what God, what God has given us to do. I shared with you last week this, this mission, this purpose, this vision. I'm not leaving it, by the way. It's not a passing thing. This is what we're going to be about. We're going to work, work, work until we have the best children's ministry in Orlando. We're not going to stop working. Why? Because Jesus loves the little children. Because there's 4,000 children that live in our zip code that are unchurched. In our zip code that are unchurched. And that's our, that's our mission. Listen, I'm not trying to compare the mission that God has given us to the mission Jesus had on that night when he knew that he was going to the cross. But I can apply the same principles. I can say that we need to fall on our face as Jesus did in the Gospel of Matthew and either beg God to take this cup from us or strengthen us to fulfill the mission that he has given us. And we can fall on our face and pray that God would keep us pure and God would keep us holy and that God would keep sin from hindering the mission that he has given us. And he wants us to go to Mexico. There's no question about that. There's a community of 50,000 people who desperately need to hear about the love of Jesus. And he's called us to do that. And we can pray that God would take that cup from us. And his answer might be, I'm not going to take the cup from you, but I'll send an angel to give you strength. And we can pray that he would keep us pure and holy, that sin would not hinder how he wants to use this body of believers to impact the community for Christ. 
the message this morning is, number one, we, we have got to understand the depth of God's love for us. And I see it in Jesus saying to his father, please take this from me. And the father's response being, you got to do it. I love him too much. I just love him too much. Now, folks, I, I've said this to you before, and it sounds harsh, and it, 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 sounds, it sounds unloving, but I think you would say the same thing to me. I love you. I love you. I love you, but I'm not giving my son for you. And Jesus said, Father, please. And the Father said, you got to. You got to. I love them. So one part of this is understanding the depth of God's love for us because I believe that that's got to be what drives us, God's love. I think that Jesus' submission to the Father was driven by his love for the Father. I think that it was more than just, well, he's the Father, he's the authority, I've got to submit, so I'm going to submit. Some of us, that's kind of the, 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 um, the pattern that works for us. And you know what? That's fine because it's true. He's our Savior and our Lord, Master, Boss, Manager. And if he says turn right, turn right, why? Because he's the boss. So you can be driven that way and that's fine. But I believe that Jesus was driven that night by his love for the Father. And the Father said, you got to do it. You got to do it. So I want, us, I want us to understand the depth of God's love for us. And I want that to be the driving force behind what we do. But I also want us to understand that just as God placed before Jesus a very, very difficult and agonizing mission, so he has placed before us. Jesus' response was to pray. Our response ought to be to pray. I want to tell you this as clearly as I possibly can. If we don't fervently, and I'll even use the word agonizingly, pray about the cup that that God has given us to drink, we will not succeed in what he has called us to do Prayer will be an essential ingredient in completing the mission that God has given us. We must pray. Are you praying? Are you praying about this? Some of you don't want to do this. I know that. So you need to pray. God, remove this cup from me and see what he says. That's what you need to pray. Some of you are, 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 are all in, but man, you are dealing with a demon in your life. You're dealing with a secret sin in your life. You're dealing with a habit. You're dealing with something. You need to pray because that will hinder you from doing what God wants you to do. Look, we don't have a lot of time. 
I wanted us to have a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask Arthur just to minister to us in song. I'm going to ask you to pray. You can, you can pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. That's okay. That's not selfish. You might want to pray that you'll see the cross as the cross is. I mean, really go to the cross. And you might want to pray about what God has placed in front of you. Your, 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 your purpose, the direction he's given you, what he's called you to. You might want to pray about that. You might want to pray for purity and holiness. Because we're going to need all of that. If we're going to do what God has called us to do. So we're going to take just a couple of minutes, just a couple of minutes of silence. This is your opportunity to pray. You want to pray with somebody? I'll be standing right here. Happy to pray with you. It's going to be just a couple of minutes. I'm asking you, please, please, fervent, passionate, real prayer. Join me as we pray.